Citing the Tashahud, Ta'awz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalid the Masih the Fifth, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala ibn Salaziz stated, Events surrounding the Battle of Uhud were being mentioned. I will narrate some further details in this regard. As mentioned, the enemy declared that the Holy Prophet had been martyred. What was the state of the Muslims when they learnt of this news of the Holy Prophet being martyred? The details in relation to this are as follows, that when Ibn Qamiyah believed that he had martyred the Holy Prophet he announced that Muhammad had been martyred It is also said that it was Satan who made this announcement, who took the form of Ju'al or Ju'al bin Suraka. Ju'al was one of the early Muslim devotees and was among the people of Sufa. The Holy Prophet changed his name to Umar on the occasion of the Battle of Khandaq. In any case, when people heard this, they rushed towards Ju'al in order to kill him. However, he expressed that he had nothing to do with this announcement and said that he did not make any announcement. Khawad bin Jubair and Abu Burda testified that when they heard this call, Ju'al was fighting besides them. They testified that he had joined them and was fighting beside them. It is also said that the one who made this announcement was Adabul Aqaba, who announced three times that the Holy Prophet had been martyred. There are several narrations with regards to who made this announcement. It is possible that various people experienced it differently and that multiple individuals made such an announcement. Ibn Qamiya, Iblis, and Azabul Aqaba. It is possible that another evil person made the announcement as well. As this news spread, some Muslims said, Since the Holy Prophet has passed away, now you all should return to your tribes, as they will grant you protection. Upon this, 
Some others said, If the Holy Prophet has been martyred, will you no longer fight for the religion and message of your Prophet until you meet your Lord as a martyr? Hazrat Thabit bin Dahda said to the Ansar, O party of the Ansar, even if the Holy Prophet has been martyred, Allah the Almighty is alive and death cannot overtake him. Fight for your religion and Allah the Almighty will grant you victory and success. Hearing this, a group of the Ansar got up and launched an attack alongside Hazrat Sabit against a contingent of the idolaters, which included Hazrat Khalid bin Walid, Ikrama bin Abu Jahl, Amr bin Alas and Diral bin Al-Khattab. Seeing this small party of Muslims launch an attack, Khalid bin Walid launched a severe counter-attack and martyred Thabit bin Dahda and his Ansari companions. In relation to this dire state, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib anhu, has written the following in the life and character of the seal of the prophets. He says, At the time, the Muslims were divided into three groups. One group was of those who had fled from the field of battle upon hearing the news that the Holy Prophet had been martyred. But this group was the smallest of all and included Hazrat Uthman bin Affan as well. However, as mentioned in the Holy Quran, taking into consideration the special circumstances of the time and the heartfelt faith and sincerity of these people, Allah the Exalted forgave them. From among these people, some had even reached Medina and in this manner, News of the so-called martyrdom of the Holy Prophet and defeat of the Muslim army managed to reach Medina as well. A state of lamentation broke out in Medina and the Muslim men and women, both young and old, all came out of the city in a state of immense dismay and set out towards Uhud. Some made haste to the field of battle and plunged into the enemy ranks in the name of Allah. They started fighting as well. The second group consisted of such people who had not fled, but upon hearing the news of the martyrdom of the Holy Prophet, had either lost determination or felt that now it was useless to fight. Hence, they had moved to one side of the battlefield and sat down with their heads hanging low. The third group was of those who continued to fight on without fail. Among them, some consisted of those people who were gathered around the Holy Prophet and were exhibiting unprecedented feats of valor. And most of them were fighting in the field of battle scattered apart from one another. As these people and those from the second group continued to discover that the Holy Prophet was alive, these people would continue to fight and close in around the Holy Prophet in the likeness of those possessed by madness. The state of war at the time was such that the army of the Quraysh would push forward from all four fronts in the likeness of ferocious ocean waves. A rain of arrows and stones was falling upon them in the battlefield from all directions. Upon witnessing this state of danger, these devotees surrounded the perimeter of the Holy Prophet and shielded his blessed body with their own. However, despite this, whenever the force of the attack would surge forward, this handful of men 
would be jostled here and there. And in this state, at times, the Holy Prophet would almost be left standing alone. Upon one such instance, a stone thrown by Utbah bin Abi Waqas, the idolatrous brother of Saad bin Abi Waqas, struck the blessed countenance of the Holy Prophet, which broke his tooth and also wounded his lip. Shortly after, another stone thrown by Abdullah bin Shahab wounded the forehead of the Holy Prophet. Then a third stone thrown by Ibn Qamiyah struck the blessed cheek by which two rings on the mighfir or helmet of the Holy Prophet pierced into his cheek. Saad bin Abi Waqas was so enraged at this action of his brother Utbah that he would say he never felt so eager to kill an enemy as he was to kill Utbah on the day of Uhud. Hazrat Muslim has mentioned the philosophy of the acceptance of prayer. While mentioning this, he explained this incident in the Battle of Ohud in great detail. Expanding upon this, he states, What I said regarding the British gaining victory is that if they established themselves upon the oneness of God and asked me to pray for them with a pure heart, they will gain victory. This was in 1940 during World War II. Nonetheless, he states, If these people ask me to pray, they will be victorious. This is in complete accordance with God Almighty's prophecies, His divine word and my visions. The promised Messiah has prayed a lot for this nation. But these nations have placed a human upon the throne of God Almighty, which is why God Almighty is putting them through trials i.e. that they have made Prophet Jesus the Son of God. This is why these people are facing trials. Many prayers have been offered for them. Then he mentioned the Pagamis, i.e. the Lahori sect, that if the Pagamis wish to deny this, then they may do so, meaning that the Pagamis hold a belief contrary to what Hazrat Muslim Maud is stating. Nonetheless, he states, but the prayers that the promised Messiah has offered for them, The impediment in the acceptance of their prayers is their associating partners with Allah. And if this impediment is partially or completely removed, then these prayers shall certainly be accepted. I have seen several visions that my prayers can remove their afflictions. But this does not mean that whatever I pray for, it is automatically accepted. If it was in my power to do so, then why would I not remove the afflictions that we face? It is stated in the Holy Quran that the disbelievers used to say to the Holy Prophet that if you are truly beloved by God Almighty, then why do you not resolve such and such task of yours? But Allah the Almighty states that, O Muhammad, say that if it was in my power to do so, then why would I not collect all the benefits for myself? Thus, if this rule was not even for the Holy Prophet, that all of his prayers be accepted, then how can this be applied to me? When this rule was even for the Holy Prophet, that when God Almighty was ready to accept a prayer and desire to establish the honor of the Holy Prophet by means of a sign, then he would certainly accept it. Then how can the opposite occur for myself or for someone else? 
I accept that it is within the power of the British that if they wished, they could execute us or imprison us. At the time, they were deemed weak in comparison to the enemy and they were in quite a precarious state during World War II. Despite this, it is my claim that their afflictions can be removed by way of my prayer because the power they hold over our lives is under a different law and the acceptance of prayer is governed by a different law. The king of Persia intended to arrest the Holy Prophet but those who were to arrest him had not yet arrived. Rather, only the envoys from the governor of Yemen brought the message that the Holy Prophet told them to go and tell your master that we will not come. Our God has killed your God. Allah the Almighty incited the son of the king and he killed his own father. But during the battle of Ohud, the enemy attacked the Holy Prophet, threw stones, broke his teeth, his head was injured, the nails of his helmet became embedded in his face, he became unconscious and fell down, after which some other companions fell on top of him. Owing to this, some companions thought he had been martyred. Now, someone can ask that if Allah the Almighty honoured the Holy Prophet so much so that he caused the king of Persia, who lived far away, to be killed, then why did he let the disbelievers throw stones at the Holy Prophet in the battlefield of Ohud? Such allegations are not correct. This is the prudence and wisdom of Allah the Almighty. These are his secrets. At times, he punishes a person for an insignificant matter, and at other times, in accordance with what he deems prudent, he shows leniency so that a person realizes their own helplessness and destitution. Nonetheless, the incident of Ohud was being narrated. After the rumor of his death, the Holy Prophet suddenly appeared in front of the companions. In explanation of this, it is written that Hazrat Abu Ubaidah was the first person at the time who recognized the Holy Prophet, that he was alive and well. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah said, I recognized the Holy Prophet from his glowing and radiant eyes under his khawd. Khawd was a type of helmet that a soldier would use to protect his head and face. Nonetheless, he stated, I saw a great brilliance and light in his eyes, and I knew that the Holy Prophet is alive. Thus, as soon as I recognized him, I yelled with all my might, O Muslims, I give you glad tidings that the Holy Prophet is among us. Upon this, the Holy Prophet gestured to me that I should remain silent. In another narration, it is stated that it was a different companion who recognized the Holy Prophet. Thus, one author writes that after falling into the trench, the Holy Prophet's entire body was covered in blood. When he came out, Hazrat Qab bin Malik recognized the Holy Prophet's eyes from beneath his helmet and yelled out in joy. Ya ma'ashir al-Muslimin, abshiru, hadha Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Meaning, O party of Muslims, rejoice, for it is the Messenger of Allah. Upon this, the Holy Prophet signaled to him to remain silent. However, as the Muslims continued to receive news of this, they rushed towards the Holy Prophet. Among them was Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, Hazrat Umar bin al Khattab, Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib, 
Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah, Hazrat Zubair bin Al-Awam, Hazrat Haris bin Sima, and various other Muslims. The Holy Prophet, along with his companions, took shelter in a valley in the Ohud mountain. Along the way, whenever an attack was launched by the enemy, the companions of the Holy Prophet responded emphatically. In certain books, it has been narrated that when the momentum of the battle suddenly shifted, the situation of the battle became very perilous and dangerous. Suddenly, the Holy Prophet emerged between Hazrat Sa'd bin Mu'adh and Hazrat Sa'd bin Obada, and the companions were able to recognize him from his manner of walk. In that moment, they were rejuvenated with passion, and it was as if they had neither suffered defeat nor any loss. When all the Muslims saw the Holy Prophet they all passionately gathered around the Holy Prophet and he took them towards a mountain pass. At the time, Hazrat Abu Bakr, Hazrat Umar, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Zubair and Hazrat Haris bin Sima were with the Holy Prophet. Hazrat Khalib II states, Since the attack against the Muslims was so unexpected, the Muslims became extremely anxious and were unable to fight against the enemy as they had become scattered. The enemy took control over the battlefield and the companions, out of desperation, began running towards Medina and only 12 companions remained around the Holy Prophet In fact, there was even a time when only three companions remained around the Holy Prophet. The enemy especially began to fire arrows against the Holy Prophet at this point, and despite the perilous situation, the Holy Prophet remained firmly resolute against the enemy and did not move from his position. The enemy suddenly pressed ahead forcefully, and the few companions that remained were also pushed back. The Holy Prophet became wounded and fell into a ditch, and some of the companions who were protecting the Holy Prophet were martyred and fell on the Holy Prophet. For a short while, the Holy Prophet could not be seen by the companions, and the news spread amongst the army that the Holy Prophet had been martyred. This news was an even greater source of shock for the companions, and whatever little energy remained was now gone. The companions who were around the Holy Prophet at the time and were alive removed the dead bodies and took the Holy Prophet out from the ditch and stood guard around him. When the Holy Prophet came away from the idolaters who had encircled him and was heading towards the mountain pass along with his devoted companions, Uthman bin Abdullah bin Mughira, who was mounted on a white horse, came towards the Holy Prophet. He was clad in armor from head to toe and was going towards the mountain pass which the Holy Prophet was heading towards. He was saying, either he shall live or I shall. Upon hearing his voice, the Holy Prophet stopped. The horse of Usman fell in one of the ditches which had been dug there. And Hazrat Haris ran towards him, and for a short while they fought one another with their swords. Suddenly, Hazrat Haris bin Sima struck him on the foot with his sword, and Usman sat down owing to the injury. Hazrat Haris then killed him and took off his armor and helmet. 
Upon witnessing this, the Holy Prophet expressed his gratitude to God for him being killed. In the same instance, Ubaidullah bin Jabir Amri attacked Hazrat Haris and struck his shoulder, causing him injury. One of the comrades of Hazrat Haris lifted him and took him away. Following this, Hazrat Abu Dujana leapt forward and attacked Ubaidullah and killed him with his sword and returned to the Holy Prophet. There is also mention of Ubay bin Khalf who was one of the chieftains of Makkah and attacked the Holy Prophet. As the Holy Prophet was heading towards the mountain pass, Ubay bin Khalf came there. Ubay bin Khalf had paid a ransom for being captured in the Battle of Badr. He said that he owned a horse named Ud, which he daily fed 7.5 kg of corn. It was a very powerful and healthy horse and he claimed that I shall mount on this horse and kill Muhammad. When the Holy Prophet heard of this, he said that in fact he would be the one to kill him instead. According to another narration, he said this to the Holy Prophet while in Makkah before the migration. And so, on the occasion of the Battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet stated to his companions, I suspect that Ubay bin Khalf will attack me from behind. Therefore, let me know when you see him. At the time, Ubay was clad in armor and was prancing on his horse as he came closer. The Holy Prophet also saw him and he was asking, Where is Muhammad? If he escapes alive, I will be finished. Hazrat Musa bin Umair was standing guard over the Holy Prophet and came before him and Ubay martyred Musa bin Umair. Upon this the companion submitted, O Messenger of Allah, Obey is coming towards you. Shall one of us go and kill him? And according to another narration, it is mentioned that the companions confronted Obey. In any case, the Holy Prophet instructed them to leave him and move out of his way. When he approached a little closer, the Holy Prophet stated, O liar, where shall you go after fleeing? The Holy Prophet took a spear from Hazrat Harsa bin Sima, and according to another narration, he took a spear from Hazrat Zubair bin Alawam and prepared himself to attack. The companions moved away from the Holy Prophet just like flies move away from the back of a camel. The Holy Prophet went in front of Obey and hit his neck with a spear or struck the area which was visible between his helmet and armor, as a result of which he stumbled off his horse several times and began to bellow like an ox. He sustained a light scratch on his neck and the blood also stopped or perhaps one of his ribs broke. He returned to his people and said, By God, Muhammad Arabi has killed me. His people responded that he had simply become disheartened and that nothing had happened and it was just a mere scratch. They said that even if the eye of any one of them had sustained such an injury, nothing would have happened to them. Upon this, Zubay stated, I swear by Lat and Uzza, if the injury which I have sustained was inflicted upon the people of Dhul Mijaz or Rabia or Mudr, they would all have perished. He, i.e. the Holy Prophet, had told me in Makkah that he would kill me. By God, even if he had so much as spat on me, I would be killed. Subsequently, when the idolaters were returning and reached Sarif, he died and was condemned to hell. Sarif is a huge valley which is now known as Nawariya. 
on the occasion of the farewell pilgrimage. This was the seventh manzil taken by the Holy Prophet from Medina, which is close to Tanim, approximately nine or ten miles from Makkah. As a Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, after the Quraysh had fallen back to some extent and the Muslims who were present in the battlefield caught sight of the Holy Prophet, they gathered around him. With this party of companions, the Holy Prophet slowly began to climb to the top of the mountain and reached a secure mountain pass. On the way, Ubay bin Khalf, a chief of Makkah, caught sight of the Holy Prophet Blinded by his enmity and malice, he ran towards the Holy Prophet, calling out the words, La Najotu in Najota, meaning, If Muhammad escapes alive, then I am finished. The companions attempted to restrain him, but the Holy Prophet said, Leave him and let him come to me. When he reached in close range of the Holy Prophet in order to attack him, the Holy Prophet took out a lance and administered a single strike by which he took a spin and fell to the ground. Then he stood up and ran back yelling and screaming and although the wound was not too severe, he was mixed to dust before reaching Makkah. The Holy Prophet وسلم, along with his companions arrived at the mountain pass. In relation to this, Ibn Ishaq states that following the false news that the Holy Prophet had been martyred and people having become scattered, the first person to see the Holy Prophet was Hazrat Qab bin Malik. He relates, I saw the bright eyes of the Holy Prophet through his helmet and loudly proclaimed, O Muslims, rejoice for the Messenger of Allah is here. Upon hearing this, the Holy Prophet signaled with his hand to remain silent. When the Muslims recognized the Holy Prophet, they headed towards the mountain pass along with the Holy Prophet. Along with the Holy Prophet, there was Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, Hazrat Umar, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah, Hazrat Zubair bin Alawam, Hazrat Haris bin Sima, and various other companions. Just as the Holy Prophet and his companions were sitting on the stones of the mountain pass, suddenly a party from among the Quraysh reached on top of the mountain. Khalid bin Walid was in this party. Upon seeing the enemy above them, the Holy Prophet prayed, Allahumma innahu la yambaghi lahum an ya'lunaha Allahumma la quwwata lana illa bika Meaning, O oh Allah, it is not possible for them to be victorious over us. O oh Allah, we do not have any power or strength except with you. Immediately, Hazrat Umar al-Farooq, along with a group of the Muhajireen, went to fight against them and pushed them back. As a result of this, they were forced to move down from the mount. It has been mentioned the life and character of the seal of the prophets as follows. When the Holy Prophet had arrived at the mountain pass, a contingent of the Quraysh, headed by Khalid bin Walid, attempted to ascend the mountain and wage an attack. But on the command of the Holy Prophet, Hazrat Umar fought them along with a few Muhajireen and drove them off. From this same battle, there is an incident mentioned on the authority of Hazrat Zubair that on the day of Uhud, the Holy Prophet wore two chainmails. The Holy Prophet tried scaling the mount, but owing to the weight of the chainmails 
and also suffering from weakness because of the blood loss from the injuries to his head and face, he was unable to ascend it. Hazrat Talha knelt down and the Holy Prophet put his feet on him and climbed the mount. Hazrat Zubair states, I heard the Holy Prophet say, Talha has made paradise incumbent upon himself. In one narration, the Holy Prophet wished to climb up the mount, i.e. the mountain pass. But when he was about to ascend the mount, blood gushed forth from the wound on his blessed head, and owing to weakness, he was unable to climb up. In addition to this, he had the weight of two chainmails. Upon witnessing this, Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah sat down in front of the Holy Prophet and he was hoisted up on top of Talha's shoulders. It was on this occasion that the Holy Prophet said, Paradise is incumbent upon Talha for this virtue. As mentioned already, it was in this battle that the Holy Prophet's blessed tooth was broken. Mentioning this entire scene and speaking about the day of Uhud, Hazrat Aisha narrates that Hazrat Abu Bakr used to say, That day belonged to Talha. He would then mention the detail as follows. I was from among those people who returned back to the Holy Prophet. When I returned, I saw that there was an individual protecting the Holy Prophet and fighting alongside him. The narrator says, I believe that he, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr, that he was protecting him. Hazrat Abu Bakr further says, I said to myself, I wish that person is Talha. I lost out on the opportunity, but deep down I wished if only this person belonged to my tribe, as this would please me more. This is what Hazrat Abu Bakr thought at the time. Hazrat Abu Bakr further says, There was a person between myself and the Holy Prophet who I could not recognize, even though I was closer to that individual than the Holy Prophet. He was walking so fast that I was unable to keep up with him. When I observed closely, I realized it was Abu Ubaidah bin al-Jarrah, I reached the Holy Prophet, his lower incisor. There were two people there, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Abu Ubaidah bin al-Jarrah. His tooth, i.e. the tooth between the two front incisors and canines, was broken and his face was wounded. Rings of the helmet had become lodged in the Holy Prophet's cheek. The Holy Prophet said to go and check on your companion. By this, the Holy Prophet meant to check upon Talha, as he had lost a lot of blood. As Talha had become severely wounded trying to protect the Holy Prophet. Instead of asking for them to see to his injuries, the Holy Prophet instructed to see to Talha. But we left him, and I stepped forward. I, we did not tend to Hazrat Talha, instead we tended to the Holy Prophet, to remove the chains of the helmet from the Holy Prophet's cheek. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah said, I swear by the right I have over you, please leave this task for me. I therefore left it to Abu Ubaidah. On the request of Abu Ubaidah to pull out the rings, Abu Bakr moved aside. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah did not wish to pull the rings out by his hand, in case it causes pain to the Holy Prophet. So he tried to pull the rings out with his teeth. When he pulled out one chain, his own front tooth broke as well. 
I stepped forward in order to remove the second ring in the same manner that he did. Hazrat Abu Bakr says, I said that I will try to take out the other ring, but Hazrat Abu Ubaidah said again, I swear by the right I have over you, please leave this task for me, i.e. that he would pull out the second ring as well and not him. He said this to Hazrat Abu Bakr. Hazrat Abu Bakr stepped aside and Abu Bakr did the same as before. When he pulled the second ring out, his other front incisor also broke. Abu Ubaidah was the most handsome of all those whose front two teeth were broken. Hazrat Abu Bakr would say this. After tending to the injuries of the Holy Prophet, we went to Talha, who was in a ditch. We saw that on his body, he had close to 70 sword, spear and arrow wounds, and one of his fingers had been severed. We treated his injuries and applied ointment. Aside from Hazrat Abu Ubaidah, there are narrations which state that the rings were pulled out by Hazrat Uqba bin Wahab and Hazrat Abu Bakr. However, the first narration is more authentic. Abu Sayyid Khudri narrates that when the two rings were removed from the blessed cheek of the Holy Prophet, blood started to gush forth as if water overflows from a full water skin. Malik bin Sinan began to suck the blood using his mouth. The Holy Prophet said to him, Are you drinking blood? He replied in the affirmative. The Holy Prophet then said, The fire is forbidden for the person whose blood touched my blood. This is a narration of Subulul Huda wa Rashad, but it seems as though this narration and certain others are debatable and dubious. Only Allah knows as to how authentic they are, because if one tries to stop blood flow like this, then instead of stopping the flow, it would increase the flow, and he would be left in a weaker condition. Nonetheless, Further on from this narration, one finds the answer to this in the subsequent narrations. Therefore, I feel that this narration is not authentic. As a Sahal bin Saad narrates a tradition in Sahih al-Bukhari with regards to the injuries sustained by the Holy Prophet in the Battle of Uhud, he was asked about this, to which he replied, You ask me about it. By Allah, I remember full well who was washing the wounds of the Holy Prophet, i.e. he could recall the entire scene vividly who was pouring water and what ointment was being applied. Hazrat Sahal said, Hazrat Fatima, daughter of the Holy Prophet was washing the wounds and Hazrat Ali was pouring water using his shield. When Hazrat Fatima saw that water was causing more blood loss, she took a piece of sack, burnt it and applied it to the wound. Upon this, the blood stopped. On that day, his front tooth broke and his face was wounded and his helmet broke on his head. Mention has been made here of stopping the bleeding and washing out the wound, nothing about sucking it out. This narration of Sahih al-Bukhari is correct. When the Holy Prophet reached the edge of the mountain pass, Ali bin Abu Talib filled his shield with water from the Mirath and brought it to the Holy Prophet. Mirath is the name given to small and large ditches at Uhud in which rainwater would accumulate. This is what has been recorded in the meanings of Mirath. 
This was close to the place where the Hazrat Hamza had been martyred, so that the Holy Prophet could drink it. But because of its stench, the Holy Prophet did not drink the water, but used it to wash the blood from his face and poured it over his head, saying, The wrath of Allah the Almighty is severe for someone who injures the face of his Prophet. Muhammad bin Maslama went to ask the women for water, but they did not have any water. The Holy Prophet was extremely thirsty, and so Muhammad bin Maslama went to a spring and brought sweet water. The Holy Prophet drank the water and prayed for him. Tabarani records a narration from Sahal bin Saad that the Holy Prophet blessed countenance was wounded on the day of Uhud and he lost some of his blessed teeth and the helmet upon his blessed head broke. When the polytheists left, the women went to the companions and among them was Fatima. When she met the Holy Prophet, she embraced him and began washing his wounds as Ali poured water from his shield. But there was a lot of blood flowing and so Fatima burned a palm leaf, turning it into ash and used it to compress the wound until it fused into the wound and the bleeding stopped. Blood was dripping from the blessed countenance of the Holy Prophet and the Holy Prophet himself would wipe his blood away as he would say, كَيْفَ يُفْلِحُ قَوْمٌ شَجُّوا نَبِيَّهُمْ وَكَسَرُوا رَبَائِيَةً وَهُوَ يَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ Meaning, how can a nation which injured its prophet and broke his lateral incisor ever thrive when all he did was invite them towards Allah the Almighty? God willing, the rest will be mentioned in the future. I have been continuously reminding to pray for the people of Palestine. The state of Muslim nations is such that instead of uniting to help the people of Palestine, they have started fighting amongst themselves. It has been reported that conflict has started between Pakistan and Iran, and both have dropped bombs on each other. Thus, a dangerous situation is emerging. Pray that may Allah the Almighty grant the Muslim nations and leaders wisdom and understanding. Pray for them also. May Allah the Almighty grant them the ability to understand their purpose and may they become united as one. After the Friday prayers, I will lead two funeral prayers in absentia. The first is of Sayyid Maulud Ahmed Sahib, son of Sayyid Daud Muzaffar Shah Sahib who recently passed away at the age of 76. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the grandson of Hazrat Muslim and Hazrat Sayyida Umm Tahir Sahiba and son of Sahib Zadi Amatul Hakim Sahiba and Sayyid Daud Muzaffar Shah Sahib. By the grace of Allah he was a Musi. He was my maternal cousin and my wife's older brother. His paternal grandfather was Sayyid Mahmudullah Shah Sahib, who was the son of Sayyid Abdul Sitar Shah Sahib. Hazrat Dr. Sayyid Abdul Sitar Shah Sahib had reached heights in righteousness and piety. 
He was very humble and was at the forefront of fulfilling the rights of Allah and the rights of his creation. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has narrated an incident regarding Abdul Sattar Shah Sahib. He says, He told me himself, i.e. Dr. Sayyid Abdul Sattar Shah Sahib told Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib himself that once Hazrat Khalidun Si the first fell extremely ill and this was at a time when he was residing in his holiness's house as a muslim offered goats as arms dr saib says that he was also present there he spent the night by hazakhlipnusi the first and gave him medicine in the morning when the promised messiah visited hazakhlipnusi the first said your holiness dr saib stayed awake by me the entire night and gave me medicine and tended to me the promised messiah was pleased at this and said we are also proud of him. This family is heaven-bound. The Promised Messiah repeated these words a few times. He continued saying this about Dr. Abdul Star Shah Sahib. Sayyid Malud Shah Sahib obtained his education in Rabwa. He completed his matriculation, FSC, and then enrolled into Lahore Engineering College and obtained a degree in mechanical engineering. He worked at various companies in Pakistan. Then he also worked as an engineer for a company in Nigeria. By the grace of Allah, he lived a good life. His nikah was led by Hazrat Khalid the third Rahimahullah. In his sermon, Hazrat Khalid the third Rahimahullah said that the relationship in a marriage is like a tree graft which must be very carefully tended to in the beginning. Sometimes I read out these older nikah sermons because people ask how they can properly tend to their relationships and these are pieces of guidance which we should keep in mind. This is why sometimes I mention the guidance of previous khulafa in my sermons. In any case, Hazrat Khalid the third, Rahimahullah, said, They must be carefully tended to in the beginning. According to the guidance of the Holy Quran, this graft must be tied with a string of qawl sadid i.e. the right word. In other words, it must be tied with a string of absolute truthfulness. And this is how the relationship can be protected. This responsibility rests not only with the husband and the wife, but also with their families, their surroundings, in fact, even their friends. Otherwise, many habits develop as a result of ill-thinking, gossiping, impatience and anger. Truthfulness is a very strong string which prevents this. Then Hazrat Khalitumsi III Rahimullah said, May God make it so that the nikah which I am about to announce is a source of blessings for both families, for the community and for humanity. May their progeny become servants of the faith. He then said, The union has been settled between Sayyid Maulud Shah, the son of my younger sister Amatul Hakim and Sayyid Daud Muzaffar Shah and Lubna Shahbaz, daughter of Dr. Sayyid Ghulam Mujtaba. Regarding Dr. Sahib, he said, Dr. Sahib is among those initial doctors who served as devotees in West Africa. Allah has placed healing in his hand and he served as an accomplished surgeon, first in Ghana, after which he was sent to Nigeria for some time where he also completed a temporary period of devotion. 
He later suffered from heart complications because of which he had to return. Then Hazrat Khalid III also prayed for him that may Allah the Almighty grant him health and enable him to return to Africa. Allah the Almighty accepted this prayer and later he was able to go and he had the opportunity to serve in Africa for a long time. Then he prayed, May Allah the Almighty enable Sayyid Mawlud Ahmad to serve the faith. Thereafter, he would offer whatever voluntary services he could. His son, Sayyid Saud Ahmad, says, My father has always been regular in offering prayers. He recite the Holy Quran after Fajr. In fact, he was also regular in offering the Tahajjud. I also know of this. He had a very nice recitation of the Holy Quran. He says, before going to sleep, he would tell us stories and incidents of elders. He was regular in offering the financial contributions and also enjoined us to be regular in offering financial contributions. Even when he gave us pocket money, he would tell us to first offer our financial contributions. If we received money or need, then he would advise us to offer financial contributions from that as well. He had made a separate file for each one of us. Similarly, when he had his children join the institution of Al-Wasir, he kept record of that in files as well and ensured himself that all financial contributions were cleared. Apart from fasting Ramadan, he would also fast in Shawal. He would recite the Holy Quran twice in its entirety and would try to complete it a third time during Ramadan. Furthermore, it is written that he was a refined individual who was transparent and straightforward. He was also very friendly, whether he was well acquainted with others or newly acquainted. He would maintain contact and find an excuse to ask about the well-being of others. He would treat everyone with kindness, be they older or younger. He never held any malicious intent for anyone. He never harboured any prejudice. No matter how cruel others would be, he would always demonstrate good morals in response. If someone was exceedingly unkind, he would reach out to them himself and in order to bridge the gap. This is not something only his son has mentioned. I myself have witnessed that he truly possessed these excellent qualities. I have witnessed this, and many of those who knew him and offered their condolences also wrote this and said that he possessed these qualities. His son further writes, Once Hazrat Muslim Maud travelled abroad and brought a toy back for him as a gift. He opened it and broke it into pieces. Hazrat Muslim Maud said to him, I brought a gift for you and you have broken it into pieces. In response, he said, I will fix it right away. And he actually fixed it before Hazrat Muslim Maud. Hazrat Muslim Maud then told his mother that she should make him an engineer. These words of Hazrat Muslim Maud were fulfilled. He later became an engineer and was an excellent one too. There is some very useful advice from Hazrat Muslim Maud that I will present before you. Once Hazrat Muslim Maud was visiting his farmland in Sindh, He, i.e. the deceased, was also present there in those days. He was with his father in the entourage of Hazrat Muslimad, touring and evaluating the land. Perhaps during that time, it was mango season and there was fruit. The contractors of the orchards had plucked the fruit and made a pile. The contractor for the land is given out and sold to them. In this way, the fruit belongs to them. Certain varieties are taken from the owner. 
Nonetheless, the contractor had plucked the fruit and made a pile. At the time, Sayyid Malud was a child at the time and took a mango from the pile. Hazrat Muslim Al said to him, Go and put it back. It does not belong to you anymore. Rather, it belongs to the contractor. This was the manner in which Hazrat Muslim Al would ensure the tarbiyat of others. He could have said that the mango would be taken out of the share that they receive and that there was no problem. However, on the contrary, he raised his grandchild in this manner. Then Sayyid Malud's daughter, Maria, says, He frequently recited the Holy Quran and read Rahani Khuzain and Malfazat. I also know that he would read Tafsir Kabir and possessed very deep knowledge of it. He would not profess his knowledge amongst others. However, if someone ever asked a question or raised an issue, he would give great references in response. Others have also written to me about this. Whether we asked about a religious or secular matter, his daughter says, he would provide an excellent answer. He always inculcated the habit of prayer in us and would say, just pray and leave the matter to Allah. May Allah the Almighty grant him forgiveness and show him mercy, safeguard his wife and children and enable them to carry on his virtues. His brother Sayyid Sahib has also written to me that one of his greatest qualities was that he was always the first to be a part of a celebration or a moment of grief. He would congratulate upon a moment of happiness or be the first to visit someone if they fell sick. Hanif Mahmood Sahib, a missionary, writes, I became acquainted with him in Islamabad. He was very simple, elegantly dressed, quiet, had a saintly and angelic disposition. He had a high regard for life devotees and missionaries in particular. When he came to Rabwa, he upheld the relationship that we forged in Islamabad. He would often search for me in the mosque in order to meet me. Whenever we would request him for prayers, he would always follow up and ask about how things turned out. As mentioned, may Allah the Almighty enable his children to carry on his virtues. The second funeral prayer that will be offered is a respected Ikmid Ag Muhammad Sahib. He was the local president of the Mahdiabad Jamaat in Dori region of Burkina Faso. He passed away a few days ago at the age of 65. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He is survived by his two widows, ten sons and five daughters. The missionary in charge writes, He was very strong and healthy. Recently, I went to Dori to visit the families of the martyrs and he was settling the families into their homes himself. The Jamaat has built new homes for the families of the martyrs and he was helping them to settle in. After two days, he returned home. It was then that he fainted. He suffered a severe heart attack and passed away. In 1999, he had the honor of accepting Ahmadiyyad. After becoming Ahmadi, he moved to Mahdiabad to live with Al-Haj Ibrahim Bidgar Sahib. He would go with Al-Haj Ibrahim Bidgar Sahib to nearby villages to preach. Through preaching, he established many new local jamaats. He was a government employee working as a forest guard for the Ministry of Wildlife and Wilderness. He lost his job owing to the increase in terrorists operating in the area. 
When the crops were harvested, he would separate his portion of the harvest dedicated for zakat from the rest of the members. He would make all the calculations for zakat and submit it to the finance secretary and obtain a receipt. He also had the opportunity to serve as a local president in Mahdiabad for five years. He was very soft and had a calm temperament. He would never become angry. When terrorists attacked Mahdiabad on 11th of January 2023, he had already returned home after offering the Maghrib prayer. After the incident, there was a great fear and terror amongst the members of the Jamaat due to the martyrdoms, and the people were also shaken. He reassured and consoled the people. When I instructed him again to move the people of Mahdiabad to Dori, he worked to accomplish this with great diligence. He gave strength to the people and rejuvenated them. He made preparations for all the members to be moved to Dori under his supervision. And until his demise, he cared for the needs of all the martyrs' families. Rana Farooq Sahib, a missionary in Dori, writes, Every day after the Fajr prayer, he would go to convey greetings of peace to all the martyrs' families and ask about their well-being. If ever there was a problem, he would try to solve it immediately. At present, there are approximately 800 impacted members in the various local jamaats of Dori. He would look after all of them. He was always ready to serve them. He was very regular in offering prayers and always offered his full cooperation to the jamaat. He would also encourage others to do the same. May Allah the Almighty grant him forgiveness and show him mercy. May he grant patience and strength to his children and those he left behind and also enable them to carry on his virtues. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmaduhu wa nastainuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa numinu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'awzu billahi min shurure anfusina wa min sayyati amalina من يعده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الله لا الله ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله إباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يعمر Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> 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 <laughs>